gathering us in this place today. Lord, we pray that you would, would challenge our hearts, encourage our spirits, open us to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit during this time. Lord, I pray that anything that I say that is of you and is useful, we would apply to our hearts and our lives, and anything that I say that is not of use or of you, we would forget forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Christ the King Sunday. Uh, that's a Sunday that we have in the church year. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go into all of the history of it. You can check it out if you're really interested and, and see where it comes from and, and whatnot. But it's an interesting contrast that we are about to head into Advent where we remember Jesus coming meek and lowly in a manger. God condescending, taking our lowly form. What a contrast to King Jesus and to what I read to the, to the kids this morning from Revelation. It's amazing when we think about it. You know, we all get the Christmas cards and, and um, whatnot and we see, you know, the pastoral scene with Jesus in the manger, not crying, everything is calm and bright. Well, he's coming back, Right? Another theme that we run throughout the season of Advent is the second coming of Jesus. And we have the picture of that with this King Jesus coming. The next time we see Jesus, for most of us the first time we see Jesus, he's king. And we're going to be seeing him as king. Now we don't really know what it is to have a king nowadays. Right? Anybody ever lived under a king Probably not. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a king with absolute authority, though. I don't know. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we have this elected form of government. We vote them in, supposedly. The power belongs to the people. We have a representative government. Did I slip that out? I don't know. No, I didn't mean that. No. <laughs> Um, I mean, I always joke in Vermont that I, I feel like, you know, my, my vote just gets wiped out. I often will call my sister, who's on the other side of the political spectrum, and I'm like, well, at least I canceled your vote. <laughs> and she's like, well, I got yours. <laughs> it's a playful back and forth. But, you know, in this form of government, we have a lot of choice, right? If we don't like what we do, what they do, we vote them out. We get rid of them and we get somebody else in there. Or we protest their laws, or we engage in some kind of sort of justifiable disobedience, or whatever the case may be. But having a king is very, very different. And we don't know what it is to live like that. So let's just consider for a moment that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. And that our citizenship is in heaven. And that we are members of the kingdom of God. So just for a moment, consider that we are not part of a representative government or a democratic republic. Rather, we are part of a kingdom with a righteous king. Does the idea of having a king scare you? Does it sound like it sort of has a negative, totalitarian 
top-down, heavy-handed, lack of freedom feel to it. Maybe, maybe a little. I guess it depends who the king is, right? As I was preparing for this, I was reminded of um, uh, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. And um, <clears throat> one of the main characters, uh, Susan, is learning about Aslan, about the character in the Narnia Chronicles that is equated with King Jesus. And this is the dialogue that she has with another character. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If anyone, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Maybe that's the sense that we might carry of King Jesus. He's got absolute power. He's got all authority. Not terribly safe. <laughs> Especially if you're in sin or the evil one or part of the minions of hell. But he's good. He's all-powerful. He's righteous. The epistle lesson today says very clearly that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's not a committee head or a CEO that can be removed by the board if we don't like what he says. Right? That is a permanent, righteous, powerful, just, all-loving, death-destroying, sin-conquering, resurrection-wielding, holy, spirit-sending king. He is the beginning and the end. His word is truth. It is non-negotiable. There are no appeals past Jesus Christ, the king of heaven, and the head of the church. So if Jesus is the head of the church, that's us, <laughs> on our knees and bearing our souls in all humility, we ask and consider in ourselves, what do you want with us, Lord? How can we honor you? What do you want us to do? We talk about the, uh, the bishop's chair there that I so amazingly whacked the light with uh, last Sunday. <laughs> what if King Jesus was sitting in that chair? I bet we wouldn't be sitting in our pews anymore. We'd probably be on our faces before him. We'd be instantly aware of our sin more so than we are now. We would be fully engaged with the glory and the majesty of King Jesus in our presence. What would he want us to do? 
He's told us. If you love me, keep my commands. We might argue with him. Some of us like to argue with God. I do sometimes. It doesn't usually go my way. Wait a minute, Lord. That sounds rather legalistic, doesn't it now? Aren't you all about love and grace? Commandments. Just the word sounds rather Old Testament, doesn't it? (laughs) If you love me, keep my commands. And then if we don't get it, he might further say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If King Jesus was sitting here and telling us what to do, bet we'd probably be more inclined to do it. Obedience is not something we hear much about. We preach a lot on salvation by grace, through faith. We tell people salvation is a gift of God, and and sometimes we talk about obedience. But if we really get into obedience, people think that we're legalists. You know, that all of a sudden we're engaging in some salvation by works, by obedience, by what we do, we have to do it right or we're not going to get there, you know. Um, Martin Luther says, we're not saved by faith and works, we're saved by a faith that works. Okay? And James said that faith without works is dead. If we are saved, if we have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, if we have come to that place where we recognize that we're not going to get there on our own, riding on our own righteousness and on our own works on the almighty scales of balance, right? (laughs) That our sin is so great that Jesus is the one that needs to take it from us and we receive that gift, then in our gratitude, in the way that our life has been changed by what God has done for us, We are going to be doing the works. We are going to be doing the things that God has asked us to do. Because we can't help but engage in those things when we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the saving grace in Jesus Christ. Think about Adam and Eve for a moment. Well, God, we don't very much like your rules or your truth. They're keeping me from doing what I want. I think we'll vote you out and do our own thing. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's not what happened, is it? They did very much do their own thing, but God was not voted out. (laughs) Sin and death entered our human condition because of the disobedience and because of the idolatry in the hearts of mankind, placing themselves on the throne rather than the Lord. The average Christian and the average church today tends to be, if we're honest with ourselves, relatively disobedient. Not us. We're perfect. No. (laughs) We tend to be disobedient, right? We rationalize, we justify, and we like to use our intentions to justify our actions. Because if our intentions are are solid, then, well, our actions can probably get a pass. (coughs) You know, or, or maybe we find a way to whitewash even our intentions, but if we really strip back the layers, they might look good. The optics are pretty decent on the one hand, but really it's also 
allowing us to stay comfortable or benefiting our cause or our personal position. Not necessarily stepping out in obedience to what God is asking us to do. It's a lot easier to move the goalposts in our minds and in our hearts than it is to obey Jesus, the King, and change. It's really important for us to be clear about what King Jesus is saying and commanding us to do. We should be taking this word from the King and searching the scriptures so that we don't miss anything. Jesus is looking for a church who is awake. A church who is serious about the mission and who is invested in the commitment that it is to have a king and to follow him faithfully as Lord. The natural response to loving Jesus is obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We don't obey him because we're trying to stay out of hell. Or because we want to work our way into heaven. The road to heaven is paved with grace, not works. We obey Jesus because we love him. And we cannot tell ourselves or others, or even Jesus, that we love him, and then go on in disobedience to him. So Jesus told us how to do this, and there's a lot of scriptures in there about this, and it's really summed up quite nicely. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love God? With your heart and your soul. And how does that relate to obedience? How does that relate to having a king? Do you have any emotional anything for Jesus? God created us with emotions. They're not all bad. Right? Do you thirst for the Lord? Do you desire more of him? Do you want to press in and go deeper? That's good. We are to deeply desire the Lord because of our love for Jesus. We are also to love the Lord with our minds. We don't come to worship and check our brains at the door, right? We're told to love the Lord with all of our minds. If we have the emotional lump in our throat during worship, but we have no desire to do the work of studying the word, then are we loving God the way that he commands us to? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, strength. If the motive for obedience is the love of God, the measure of obedience is the word of God. The degree to which I bring my life into conformity with his word. The degree to which I stop persisting in sin and disobedience. The degree to which we lay ourselves before the Lord and kneel before the king. In Revelation chapter 3, 
It's part of the message to the lukewarm church at Laodicea, right? They weren't hot or cold. They were, in today's terminology, meh. Right? Meh. <laughs> buy gold for yourselves. I counsel you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What is God's word saying? Everything we have comes from God. Return thanks to him. Bring tithes and offerings. Bring first fruits. Use the talents entrusted to us, not burying them in the ground as we read about last week, but bringing them to bear eternal fruit. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Action. Love with the love of Christ. Consider the gospel today. Forgive with the forgiveness we have received. Reach out. See the need. Meet the need. We feed ourselves every day. Feed them. We clothe ourselves. Clothe ourselves. Clothe them. We visit our own loved ones in the hospital and prison. Visit and pray for those that we might not know. We are loving and obeying and clothing and feeding and visiting and caring for Jesus himself when we do these things. If you love me, keep my commands. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus is our king, not whoever is in the White House. He is the head of the church. He's conquered death. He holds the keys to heaven and hell and the keys to the kingdom. We are under his leadership and his authority. Our citizenship is in heaven. He commands us to follow him with all that we are and all that we have. He requires total allegiance, total commitment, total love, and total obedience. It is then and only then that we know total completeness, total relationship, total provision, total contentment, total power, total joy. You get where I'm going with this, totality of totality. In Him, when we stand before Him, unashamed, with the gold that we have bought from Him, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Where is God speaking to you today? And what are you going to do about it? Make a plan. Tell someone. Take some steps. Jesus, the King, is calling. He is knocking on the door of your heart. He is knocking on the door of this church. And how will we respond? In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.